Okay, welcome back. This is now part two of the Fruiting Body Podcast. You're now seeing it on Thursday at 6 p.m. Enjoy. When it turns into the communication and these layers of communication, mm-hmm. at any point do, let's say, the manager of, of Justin Gaethje, which I believe is Ali, yep. and yourself, do you guys get in, in talk or is it always separated by the UFC and you're kind of communicating through them? I mean, like, uh, Danny and Ali, they live in Vegas, you know, they can meet at the gym or they see each other at events all the time. Uh, they talk. So uh, it's not a problem. And usu- and it's good for managers to communicate because, you know, matchmaker can tell you one thing, then, but the actually it's another thing. So it's, it's always uh, good to have some extra information. You know? Yeah, you never know. Like, I mean, like anything in business, it's, uh, I mean, we're not playing checkers here. We're playing chess, so how that communication is going around is, is interesting. Um, I was watching a, v- a video earlier last week and it was from a UFC fighter. I can't recall his name, but it's, he's not, he's not that famous. And he was kind of, yeah, grab some water. No worries. Uh, he was kind of explaining uh, the different levels of the roles and responsibilities of a manager that they can play. And he said, well, there's, there's essentially three uh, tiers. One was, okay, they're going to negotiate, your fight contract. That's one level of a, of a manager. Level two would be they'll negotiate your contract and sponsorships. And then level three, they'll negotiate your contracts, sponsorships, and they'll be involved in your life personally and possibly helping out with the admin side, plane tickets, hotels, you know, maybe there's problems with your family, their friends, they'll jump on, on a phone call with you. What type of manager are you? Uh, me personally, uh, I can say the third type, full package. <laughs> Because, you know, <coughs> these guys uh, were my friends for, uh, before before I started to work with them. And uh, we have this relationship, close relationship. And I believe it's important for manager and fighter to have close rela- relationship and uh, to have trust between each other. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't trust your manager, you know, nothing gonna good happen, you know. And uh <coughs> with me, I I try to keep it like more professional, not being like every day on the phone with them. Like I trust them as a professional with their preparation. If they need something from me, I believe they will come and tell me what they need. And I'm sure I will do everything in my power to help them to make sure they have a great preparation. They have a great fight coming up. They have a great matchup. So we, 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 we talk a lot. We plan a lot. So it's a lot of like See. It's a collaborate. Close. You're you're working yeah. on it together. Yeah. Meaning yeah, yeah. like, um, like for example, <coughs> earlier in the careers of maybe Fazeev, I'm assuming at this point you're the one reaching out to find sponsorships. Is that mm-hmm. a correct assumption? Like you're trying to find sponsorships for them, and you're gonna have that talk with, hey, I'm gonna get on the company. I'm gonna get on the phone with these ten guys. Which ones are you interested in? Is that is it that type of collaboration at that level? Yes, yeah, still still now now talking to how so built on that how has things changed meaning guy like uh pietr young rafael faziv let's say and and i'm and obviously uh shav mm-hmm. um that's probably more up and coming and less people understand who he is but the guy's 10 and 0 they will know very Six, 16 and 0 eight professionals uh ufc 10 and 0 isn't he or, or in ufc have, he have like uh 
or fights for finishes. Sorry, yeah, yeah. But he's he. No one's gonna want to fight him. He's he's like a yeah, he's like a Ham, Hamza Chemaev. No one wants to fight the guy. Yeah, he's out of hype. <laughs> but these guys like uh, Rafael Faziv and Pietrang at the start of their career. I'm assuming again, you're reaching out to sponsorships because that's you know it's part of the business. You're trying to find them sponsors. At which point in their careers does it change to people reaching out to you? Well, once. Uh, they enter like top 15, top 10. Obviously, there are more opportunities. But compared to when Piotr won the belt, it's completely different game, you know. When you're a champion, there's a lot of opportunities. And the numbers are much different. So sometimes it's better not to sign any long-term deals with sponsors when you're coming up for smaller numbers, wait, don't don't work with some you know questionable companies businesses, but wait and wait till the big company come to you or you come to them and they will be willing to work with you, because uh, for example in our countries the way people view like a betting companies is not in a positive way it's very negative way so if you if you are like sponsored by the betting company you already your reputation already is kind of you know damaged you know. And it can affect you getting like maybe bigger sponsor in the future. So with some of these guys, sometimes my advice is like to reject some sponsors, you know, not to work with them and wait and wait till the the big one comes. You know, it's better to have one big sponsor than like three, four, five smaller ones like questionable business and stuff like that. Yeah, I've seen that lately. I know uh, Hamza and Darren Till they signed to this. Uh, I forget, it's like a NFT type of, it's bullshit, 100% bullshit. I forget the name of this company. Because um, <laughs> we work with them too. So oh, really? Oh, shit, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Never mind, cut that out. <laughs> okay, that's an off-camera. Just because I'm in the game, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, we won't bring that up. Um, so when you're working with like uh, Petra Young and you're, you're signing the, these deals, is now is it coming, when, when you're dealing with a champion, are they starting to get endorsements from all is it predominantly going to be like the u.s and canada and russia but are you also getting contacts from like the brazilian market for to put sponsors into them as well no usually it's uh, local markets you know for Peter is uh, russia like for rafael is azerbaijan you okay. know so usually it's uh, local businesses local partners and um, still the problem for the mma is not a lot of like major companies want to be involved because they probably see it as a, some violent sport, but uh, I believe there's a lot of opportunities for s some companies to expand and uh, to reach out to the audience through MMA fighters because MMA fighters have a big audi audience and uh, the entry level to sponsor MMA fighters is lower than like sponsor some tennis player, soccer player, football player. Yeah, it's not you like know. Rolex or... Yeah, so yeah. I believe... For companies, it's a good opportunity to to sponsor MMA fighters, and uh, I wait till the day when the like uh, major companies, like well, it's much more like Nike, you know, like stuff like that. We're gonna sponsor MMA fighters. Yeah, it's it's still a, it's still a niche uh, sport, a niche market, which is a good thing because then the audience it's more targeted as well. So I mean, more likely they they are the buyers of. But that. there always like opportunity to uh, to reach wider audience. Like guys like Connor, people right. who don't watch UFC, they know Connor. And uh, but that's like 
Connor, I think he's the outlier amongst outliers. Yeah. And that's because, I mean, of his character. And, and, and everyone is trying to do that. Maybe Hamzat, but well, let's see. The, these guys, like, uh, Fazeev's English is, is definitely, it's better than Pe uh, Petra Young's. Is there any pressure, or do you have to put pressure on your fighters to be like, just learn English, because if you do that, you can maybe double up your audience? I mean, it's no secret. Mm. If you speak English, good English, you know, your career in UFC, you, you'll you'll get more opportunities and obviously wider audience Eng if english fans they, they know what you're saying know what you're about you know they're going to follow you and obviously it's going to help with uh, sponsors too uh, but to finish the topic with sponsors like another like uh, problems that uh, not like problem but the specifics that i have working with fighters from our regions especially like muslim fighters you can, they cannot uh, work with betting companies. They cannot uh, promote alcohol, like Connor, you know. So there's limits, uh, limits the potential opportunities, uh, and uh, for me and for them. But you know, for me, I support it because uh, still, you know, fighters they're like role models, and if the best MMA fighter promoting alcohol and uh, betting companies and kids watch it, you know, it's not good. So it's not all about only money, you know, it's uh, also about being a good example, good role model too. Yeah, and I, I don't foresee them banning that stuff anytime soon. And A lot of these, like, <coughs> not just, I mean, podcasts and uh, people that are vlogging, they, I mean, stake. Mm -hmm. Apparently we can't say the, people are getting banned for saying, the D O T C O M. If you say that on like a uh, on video now, like of whatever that is, mm -hmm. that <laughs> your video, your whole channels can get like uh, completely banned. But I I, th I think that's a good thing not to be involved in those betting communities, because at the end of the day, actually you're just gonna be making money off your fans because they're gonna come on, you're gonna give them some promo giveaway, they're gonna go lose who knows a thousand dollars, and obviously you're getting some sort of kickback. So. So it's it's a fine line there as well. Do do you ever wake up in the morning and and I mean a lot of this has kind of just happened day by day. It didn't seem like there was this big roadmap plan to be this UFC manager superstar. Do you ever wake up one day and you know look at like how the hell did this all happen? Yeah, usually like I like to look like three years or five years back and. Uh, seeing like five years ago i couldn't imagine i'll be in this position today so i use it this perception to appreciate uh, what i have right now and to also understand that five years from now i also don't know what's going to happen the stuff that i can't even imagine going to happen good good things can happen you know that like i can be involved in other industry or i can achieve these, these things that I, I i'm not even thinking about so i always try to keep this open mind and uh, positive thinking uh, and have this perception you know if if you want to i believe if you want to achieve like a greatest things bigger thing you want first you have to appreciate what you have right now if you appreciate what you have right now you want to you're going to get more in the future too you know yeah and it's it's still your fighters they're still very relevant i mean some uh managers you know maybe their fighters get closer to the end of their career but you again guys like shavkap rachmanov i mean he's just getting started are there any other fighters that you're managing that are sleepers that like maybe the audience or someone like myself should look into a little bit more? Because again, back to 
uh, Rachmanov, it's like I kind of jumped on him about three fights ago when his dominant performances. So, again, the question is there anyone else we should be looking at that you're currently managing that's maybe more of a sleeping underdog that no one's really aware of? Uh, I mean, like all those guys I mentioned already, they have potential to be champions. Like, if you don't know who's Mofsar Yuvloyev is, go watch his fights. If you don't know who's Arman Sarokan is, go watch yes, his fights. Sure, you yes. know, the, their performances speaks for itself. And if you're a fan of like combat sports or martial arts, you're gonna you're gonna uh, uh, love what they do. At least follow them and because uh, they deserve your attention. You know, and uh, obviously we want. Uh, more casual fan base also to know them to support them because that's how how you get fast tracked in UFC. If casual fans know you, you know you're gonna get uh, opportunities and title shots. Well, yeah, Armon he just had that war. A very like it was a it's pretty much a split decision. Anyone could have won that fight. Like it was some fights you watch and you feel bad for the judges. It's just so close. He fought yeah. uh, what's it? Ga- Gaz Gamro. Gamro. I yeah. mean that fight. It's interesting. So. That kind of reminds me of maybe five, six years ago, Leon Edwards versus Usman. You're watching champions fight way too soon. And um, especially after that, you're like, oh, don't worry, his career is fine. I mean, it's just the the timing is just, that technically could be a championship fight. Yeah, it was uh, such a high level. And I believe that's how MMA in the future going to look like. You know, they they, they just showed the next level of uh, mixed martial arts. And uh, guys uh, training and watching now, looking at this fight, they, 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 they know now that to compete at the level, you're you just not enough to have like good, great striking and like, okay, wrestling, grappling, you have to be great at ev- everything, you know, and you have to be great at mixing it up. And this fight is just showed just that, you know. Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. And you start to watch these, or even the early prelims, these up and coming fighters, maybe they're 25, 26, like, yeah. It's so competitive now that, I mean, like you said, once you get to these top fives and top tens in maybe five years, I think every fight is going to be extremely high level. When you're watching some of these fights, now I saw you you, you have your blue belt in jiu-jitsu, right? Did you go up from no, there? Uh, I've been purple belt. Purple belt. For almost eight years already. <laughs> so, And I also saw you you were doing straight, you were doing MMA yourself at, at a much younger yeah, I just, uh, I, I had one amateur fight. Yeah. I just did it, like, you know, just for fun, just to test myself, to have this experience. Because, you know, once uh, my good friend and coach before, Yvonne Anderson, he told me, like, if you're afraid of something, you have to do it. So that's something that, you know, thrilled me and uh, excited me. So I ended up having an MMA fight uh, in China, in Beijing. I won that. And, you know, it's a good experience. It's good, you know, to overcome, you know, to get out of your comfort zone. And uh, maybe also this mindset that helped me, you know, also in the in MMA business too, you know. Did you weight cut for that? No, I just skipped the breakfast, you know. <laughs> See, I've always, <laughs> no I've al- that's one thing. A lot of people, they, you know, they'll want to conquer a marathon or whatnot for me i'm never going to go into an mma fight but me and hans were talking i said i want to and i told woody down at bang one probably in the next year or so i want to do like a real like maybe maybe an eight to ten week camp maybe eight weeks something similar just like an mma fighter would mm-hmm. now i don't need to be sparring everyone and then actually do the weight cut just to kind of like that would be my marathon mm-hmm. 
because I think what those guys go through, and especially at the end with those weight cuts, I mean, that's got to be they're mentally you you get to see it firsthand. Like yeah, yeah. when they're doing those weight cuts, is right up coming up to the fight. Like, are they just so used to it that it's fine, or are there points in those nights where they're actually like mentally like you know on the verge of like? Let's say they're, they're never like nice weight cuts. You know, there's a, there's the part I hate the most. So I usually don't encourage my fighters to cut a lot of weight to have these extreme weight cuts because it's you know it's bad for your health. It's best for your long term health. So if you want to do it, you know you have to know like what are you getting in exchange, what price you're paying, and what you're getting in exchange because it's not good for your health. You know with, uh, the weight cuts. Um, so yeah, it's uh, like most miserable time. Yeah, you can see and some of them. Yeah, it's very stressful. You know. Yeah, I mean, I I think well, Ham Hamzat he didn't finish his weight cut on the last one. Who knows what happened on there? Yes, because I see the fans they start to like uh, hate hate yeah, on yeah. him, attack him, you know. Uh, but me being being in this business, like first thing uh, I saw that uh, like we don't know what happened. We uh, maybe he's he got a health problem and stuff because I had experience with my my fighters too, you know, you know. You never, you never know what's gonna happen. The weight cuts, like, it doesn't matter if you had like 20, 30 successful weight cuts before. Every weight cut is uh, something new because your body changes, you get older, and uh, stuff that worked before, they may not work this time, you know, so. Yeah, and especially, I mean, it must put a lot of pressure on the organs as well. I mean, it's. Yeah, for sure. Do you, now, are you permanently in Phuket? You're down at Chelong, near Tiger Muay Thai. Where do you spend most of your time throughout the year? Yeah, so I ba I'm based in Phuket. Uh, my wife, my son is here, my family is here. And I just do like uh, trips for the tournaments, for events. And uh, usually like during the pandemic, because uh, I had to do the quarantine, you know, I, I would spend like six months away in total throughout the year. But uh, now it really depends on the schedule. For example, in, um, in June, I had like eight guys fighting in the time frame of six weeks. So for these six weeks, I had to stay in the, in the States, in Vegas most of the time. And uh, yes, it's like kind of, you know, because most events are in, in USA. So you have to travel, you know, the travel is like at least 25, 24 hours. Yeah, I've done that like I think 10 times and yes. every time it's a nightmare. So this is the hardest part you know and uh, you cannot do it like every every month you know so usually i take breaks i spend like two three months in phuket then i go for events spend time there come back so it really depends on the schedule well at least you're you're managing so you can kind of coordinate those schedules of those fights as yeah. best as you can so you yes, you know yes. you're you're planning fighters okay if i gotta go over there and i know all these events have to be in vegas you can kind of plan that accordingly I mean, most people, it, it's quite rare. I mean, I've done the flight at least 10 times. I've lived in Asia 12 years, so mm -hmm. uh, I used to go every year, every six months. What, what's your strategy or your, your system to getting on that flight and getting prepared? Uh, obviously, you have to be hydrated. Usually, uh, before the flight, you know, I try to uh, make a, like, a good stretch. I take like... Uh, double dose of vitamin C, 
you know, to make sure your blood, you know, like the circulation is good. Uh, I use this um, compression socks, same. you know. Oh man, same. Yeah. Uh, uh, when when I book, like, obviously you have to get a online check-in first, uh, book the seats, look at look at the good seats, you know. Uh, right now, I always look at the deals uh, for the upgrades and stuff like that because the longer flight, if are you are you always doing the pods? Are you kind of business economy? Or are you just moving it around? Depends, you know, depends. Yeah, because sometimes the economy alone can be. I've seen the prices; they can be crazy enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you get, I try to do the pods because once you kind of get into them, it's hard to get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> once yeah. you've been down that, but the I'm the compression socks. It took me about like six flights to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, because those flights without the compression socks, the next week when you get out, you're there's just not the right blood flow in your legs, and you feel terrible. And especially yeah. when you, if everyone knows when you have dress shoes, you might not be able to get them on. Mm-hmm. Like it's extremely tight as well. Yeah, and the most important stuff, what you do after you land, I believe, you know, to like to fight the jet lag. Yeah. So what do you do? So if you arrive like, because you come to the states and it's quite different time, you have to adjust to different time zone. So usually better to wait till the evening to go to sleep, you know, take some melatonin or take some CBD because you don't sleep well. Usually, usually wake up at in the middle of the night and then, you know, the, the whole day is ruined. So the third, like, and for the third day, usually like first two days, I don't sleep well. That's why I take melatonin or CBD. So I have a good night's sleep. And the third day, usually when you kind of your body shuts down and you can sleep for 12, 13 hours. So you have to be aware of that too, you know? Yeah, that's the yeah. always the rough, because it is a 12-hour difference basically. And yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, same. You, you get you get there, you try to go to bed at even 10 o'clock at night. You're going to wake up in two hours and it's... Ugh. When you go there, it's kind of okay. But when you come back, it's like the worst, you know? Coming back here. Coming back. If you go there, for example, for a week, you spend there, you kind of, at the end of the week, you already adjusted to the American time zone. And then you have to come back and adjust again. Usually, I've uh, been like for for one week or two week. I'm just trying to get back, you know, on track. Yeah, and you don't want to be. Tra- that's the thing. Traveling, like uh, you know, one month there, one month back. It's much better if you're over there three months as well. It's yeah, yeah. for me personally. Like if I go, it'll just be Canada and maybe uh, go in um, uh, the summertime, like July, August, or something. Do you make Do you make a lot of trips back to Kazakhstan? Yeah, like uh, recently, yes. Like uh, next week, I'm actually gonna go for the event to Kazakhstan. So, so this will be my like third time this year. But usually, it's like once a year just to go there for holidays to see family, stuff like that. Yeah. Now, living in Phuket, someone like myself, I've been here six years now. I think 2016 I came. Um, I've kind of decided I think this is home for life. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, living in Asia so long, again, I lived in Shenzhen, Be- Beijing, it's not, I don't know, well, maybe you have a different experience. It's not an easy city, Beijing. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's quite polluted, as everyone knows. Um, but Phuket in particular, it's got to be one of the best cities to live, if not, definitely in all of Southeast or Asia, but maybe in the world. I mean, we have international schools, you have everything you need, the training facilities, the beach, you know. Um, the grocery stores, you got everything you need here. I can't even imagine another city besides maybe Singapore, but no, it's, I think it's just, you know, it's too robotic. Do you see yourself, this co- will be you for life staying here? Uh, 
I, I also like uh, we have like similar experience like living in China and then moving to Phuket. So Beijing, I had a great time in Beijing because it was my student times, university times. But also like uh, I had enough of it. Like I, I lived there for nine years. So the the last year I, I, I couldn't wait to get away from there because the pollution, it was too much. And then moving to Phuket, it was such a big contrast because Be- Beijing is like big city life, uh, high tempo. And, and I loved it, but then I got over it. All, and uh, when I moved to be uh, to Phuket, I just fell in love with uh, with the place. And uh, Phuket have everything. Now, like becoming a parent, also you you look at the schools. Schools are great. Uh, uh, medical stuff is you can get a uh, world class medication here, like is the hospitals. Uh, food, weather, you know, I don't know. I, there's For me, it's a great place to live. I'm used to it. And usually wha- I travel a lot and I try to picture myself uh, living in that place and uh, n- nothing beats Phuket yet. And uh, as you said also, like living s- such a long time in Asia, like nine years in China and now eight years in Phuket, it's gonna be very hard, you know, to transition to like to live in the states or to live yeah. in Europe. I believe. Yeah, people know. don't. Uh, after you leave here, it's. I mean, I go back to Canada, but I mean the fact that, okay, you, you were coming. I'm like, oh, I need to get water. Oh, I have my car. I'm like, I'll just jump on the motorbike, mm-hmm. throw it in the Seven Eleven. I'll throw four bottles on there, the big ones, and and drive back. It's the luxury. You there's you don't get that even in a major city in in Canada. I mean, you got to get your motorbike maybe out of the parking garage and then somehow find parking throw in a helmet there's just so many rules and regulations going on that phuket is just there's there's many things that we don't have to worry about living here and that's why i could see foresee myself staying here for pretty much ever you can have like a really high quality lifestyle here and also this is like a kind of you can say it's like a hub you can meet a lot of people here Especially for me, fighters coming here for the fight camps, I can meet new fighters, potential champions in the future. Uh, so for for me personally, it's a good place. As I see it, for my son, it's also a great place to grow up. My wife loves it. So and also talking to other people who lived in Phuket and then moved to other places, all of them they want to come back. Yeah, so I mean. I don't want to make the same mistake, you know. <laughs> yeah, where would you... Uh, to be honest, there's nowhere else to go. I mean, have you been to, like, Bali before? Or No, I never. Yeah, see, these places, it's just motorbike traffic. Singapore, it's too robotic. KL is just another big city. There's really nowhere else. And so I would Personally, I would never live in Bangkok. And yeah. to, to be honest, maybe I'll go there once a year. I, I, I'm Once you lived in China long, long enough, you kind of leave that uh, city life. Yeah. Um, the other thing, well, I guess we could share the similar story. It's funny when you live in Thailand, especially Phuket, a long time, and you see other foreigners, and you know they get angry at the little things at a restaurant. The dish is wrong, yeah, yeah. and I look at them. I'm like, in China, sometimes they don't even remember to bring your food. <laughs> and like, yeah. how many times here have like, okay, they bring the wrong dish. You're like, you know what? I ordered pad thai, but I like lap guy. Yeah, sure, I'll eat that. And then you'll see some foreigners, maybe they just came from the Western world and they just came to Phuket and you can watch them where like every little thing bothers them. And kind of the point back to you is like living in China has made me personally just so thick skin that 
nothing can really go wrong here that I haven't already seen that was 20 times worse <laughs> over there. We have a saying, like, if you lived in China, you don't laugh at the circus, you know? <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> the stuff you experience there, you know, it's definitely was a good experience in China. And uh, me, uh, like, uh, living abroad since I was 16, I just learned to, like, you, first of all, you don't, come to the new place with your own set of rules you have to adapt and also you have opportunity to learn and something good for yourself you know to get better from this culture something for you then i move here to thailand i learn from thai people i learn from locals you know and uh, for example the good example is like traffic here no one like use the horns yeah. you know like anywhere in the world it's hard to find a place like this, you know. Well, especially Every, India, my guess. Yeah, like the, the the craziest place I've been with uh, with this is uh, Lebanon. Like the, the, the like traffic will stop. Like for example, there will be some some reason it's not going through, and people will nonstop, you know, like horns, <laughs> and yeah. like here, uh, and the place where you live, and like the people you live, like your your close circle, you know, they they shape who you are. And uh, I believe it's w us living here, you know, made us more calmer, you know, more like. Well, and the, the ocean and the beach, I mean, yeah, you could be in traffic, but you can smell the sea breeze from, you know, yeah. coming through the car. It's hard to be, uh, you know, to be sour or angry or upset living in Phuket. It's just it's too easy, the lifestyle. Yeah. But also like uh, I believe like key to happiness is how you evaluate things like s something can happen to you and depends how you look at it uh, this is type of emotion you're going to get if you something happened to you and then look at it negative way then you're going to ha have negative emotions but if you try to find like positive in it doesn't matter what happened to you you try to find something positive in it then you're going to become more like happier and calmer person well because you're dealing with a lot of uh, fighters that are coming from uh let's well Kazakhstan, Russia, Azerbaijan, uh, Uzbekistan. These fighters, when they're coming over here, you, you have to deal with Thai dishes, which are completely d different than the dishes coming from that region. Yeah. Do they ever complain about that, or is that something they're okay, they, they find transitioning into Thailand? Is it easy for them? Well, you know, in Thailand, you like in any other country, probably as a foreigner, you can live in like in a bubble, you know? And most all of us live in a bubble, but it depends on how big is your bubble and stuff like that. And uh, you can you can have like a Russian food here. You can you you can you yeah. know you can. But for you, better you know you to broaden your experiences and and uh, for fighters, it's like first thing like what if the guy come to Thailand. I tell him, be careful on motorbikes. Wear your helmet. Uh, use the SPF, you know, the sunscreen. Yep. You have to do it. And uh, uh, make sure you eat well because you come here, it's different climate. You train hard. If you don't get the right nutrition, it's easy to get the infection, stuff infection like that. Because I see people who never get like stuff infections and see who gets them all the time. I, I believe it comes to uh, the quality of your sleep, the quality of your nutrition and hygiene of course so stuff i tell them like the guys who come here and uh, most of them they don't listen <laughs> and usually a couple of days later you see them burned from the sun or from the motorbike yeah. accidents but 
people learn, you know. And and so. your your fighters, you're having that like, like close personal relationship with them. Um, if you see them ever, I'm, I'm assuming they're professionals. They're not stepping out of line, but it could be diet. It could be, uh, I'm assuming they're not partying. Do you ever have to step any of them aside and, and, and talk to them, not just as a manager, but as a friend to be like, Hey, I think you need to be doing something different if you're going to be living here and succeed. Yeah. Like, uh, of course, of course I feel uh, responsible and uh, fighters trust me with their careers I try to do my best, you know, and uh, but it also not only on me, you know. Some people they expect like uh, me being their like friend and brother, but they don't give it back to you, you know. Like you expect me to treat you as a close friend, as a brother, but you don't treat me as a close friend, you know. Mm. It can't go one way, you know. It cannot go one way. So with with guys like this, I I just keep it professional. What I have to do, I do it, you know. I, I, I don't go extra because how can I go extra? Because we have to reach the different type of relationship together. Yeah, it's like any relationship. Uh, you have to speak the same language, not literally. Yeah. But how you treat someone, yes. they should treat you back. And yes, yes. Uh, if they're not going to do that, why why would you talk to them any differently? Yeah. So, you know, managing fighters, sometimes I compare it to having like multiple girlfriends or multiple wives, you know, they they can get get jealous of each other. They like can tell, oh, you treat this guy better. Like like something can get into their head. But for me, personally, I know I treat everyone the same. Uh, firstly, you have to be professional. I'm being professional. You have to do professional, uh, professionally all your side of things. And uh, but we always we can always get to the that next level to, of relationship, but it cannot go like one way, you know. And a lot of your fighters coming over here as well, like they they are Muslim, mm -hmm. and that transition, especially in Phuket, because of it's more of a Muslim island as well. It's a mix of uh, Buddhism, uh, the Buddhist and the Muslim. Does that make it a much easier tra uh, uh, transition for them as well? Knowing that like it's they, if they need to go to the mosque, it's there. If they need halal food, it's there as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely, you know, uh, every Friday guys go to the mosque here, uh, uh, having a chance to get a halal food is great too, you know, so I believe it helps. Yeah, because I'm sure maybe a city like, uh, well, Singapore could be more difficult, but a lot of cities in the world, if you're living in Vegas, may, these things probably aren't as easy and accessible, and mm -hmm. obviously then you're going to have that community as well. Um, yeah. Before we wrap it up, uh one one last thing i so i came across you have a youtube channel mm -hmm. um i think it's got like close to 20,000 16,000 subscribers this channel are you are you trying to promote was this something how did that come together cuz i saw some vlogs you did with Fazeev and i'm i came across the channel i'm like i, I was just more interested of what was your intentions with that mm -hmm. no i never had a goal to have a, like promote my youtube channel to have a lot of subscribers or views uh, when I started doing it, uh, my goal was just to show the fans the the stuff they don't see, this behind the scenes stuff, so what, what fighters go through. So uh, I made it to kind of educate the fans uh, about the other side of the sport, and also I made it, you know, to help promote my own fighters. And uh, those vlogs, they kind of received the. Uh, a lot of views because uh, usually like video uh, i make a video simple video and it gets like 100 200 k views 
uh, but it's recently I started like it's harder for me to do it because you know uh, during the fight week I tra- I'm the manager first, not a, like a YouTuber or video blogger, you know. So uh, I start stop doing that, you know. But a lot of people still keep like asking me, want me to do it. Uh, is that is that you filming and editing and and doing it all in your like just as kind yeah, of a creative outlet for ju- yourself? It's it just yeah like fight week yeah. through my eyes like you get a like first person view. Living now traveling and living around the world, some people pick up the camera. You know, it becomes a, a hobby. Is is photography one of your hobbies that you picked up that you you are passionate about? It used to be used to be when I was younger, uh, but not really anymore. You know, I don't really care about taking pictures too much anymore but yeah it used to be when i was younger okay and right before we wrap it up just final question Mm -hmm. if you weren't managing you know mma superstars or mma you know fighters as well and this was not part of your career what would you be doing do you think today well uh, since i was a kid i wanted to do some things that i love to do not just a job to get the salary so obviously I believe I, 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 I can find something else that I'm passionate about, that I love. And, uh, I cannot say exactly what it is, but I believe I, I, I would find something that I'm passionate about work about because uh, I have some qualities that can be useful in other areas too, you know. And me, th- me personally, I don't think that I'm going to be like a MMA manager my whole life, you know. So I believe I can do something else too, you know, after that. I can use uh, the, the connections, the capital I earned through being a manager to do something else. But yeah. if it's something that uh, brings some values uh, to you, to other people, to the community, you know, I believe it's good. My, I don't have a goal to like make crazy money and stuff like that. As long as I have some stuff that I love to do, I, I believe it's enough for me. Well, maybe maybe not a, a 56-year-old Russian co-PP tour guide. I don't know if that's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, probably not. Probably yeah. not. Um, okay, and if anyone's looking to reach out to you that maybe is up and coming or they're coming to uh, Phuket and th- they are looking for management, are you always looking for people to connect and reach out to you and have those discussions? So, because now I already have a good roster, so I'm mostly focused on the guys I already have. And for me to work with someone, obviously, I don't work, usually I don't work with people that I, I never met, you know. I don't work with people through online. I have some exceptions, if like common friend recommended it. But usually, yeah. We we have to build like some personal relation first, know each other first, and if you if I believe you have uh, qualities to achieve something in the sport and you have trust in me as a manager, then we can work something out for sure. Yeah. All right, perfect. Okay, well that's about to wrap up another episode. We're about done. Um, this is we're gonna shoot it over to your camera over here. If you just want to let anyone know if. If there's anywhere they can find you, maybe, especially for the YouTube video, I, I saw some interesting videos, again, behind the scenes of what's going on, and, and it's some cool content. Or if they want to follow you on Instagram, just let them know, and um, that's your camera there. Yeah, so 
last couple of videos I did, they have like English subtitles. So if you're interested, you can watch it on my YouTube channel. Uh, I try to stay active on Instagram about the about my work. And of course, if you want to meet me in person, you can come to Tiger Muay Thai, one of the best gyms and uh, with uh, great people, great atmosphere. So welcome, always welcome. Yeah, are you signing autographs down there too? <laughs> <laughs> well, you people usually don't ask. Has, that, has anyone ever asked? Have <laughs> no, you got no, this? No, no. Okay, well, so for me, I believe it's weird to ask for after. Yeah, what well, are you gonna do with <laughs> this? <laughs> this is gonna be the. Someone, please go ask him down at Tiger. Get get that first autograph. That's gonna be mean, mean something. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot for joining us. So that wraps up another episode. Uh, we're going to air this next next not next week, the week after. Anyways, if you're watching, it's not live, so. If you're watching, you're watching. Okay. Uh, Thanks for having me. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs>